expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Hard to believe we're already at episode 97 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where, you know, I can't help but wonder, Nick, if somebody ever unplugged the doomsday clock, would it blink one one nineteen hundred? I don't know. All I know is that Abe Vigoda did die the same day that they showed off the doomsday clock, so way to go, scientists. And the swirling vortex of evil has begun. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I mean, it was one of those things where, like, the jokes are going around, like, oh, Abe Vigoda's gonna die, because it's like... I mean, he was in Goodberg. Like, one of his lines was like, I should have died years ago. And then, like, it's just weird how... They show, hey, Doomsday Clocks, when the world's going to end, and then we lose a pagoda. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. it's kind of crazy, man. Like you said, way to go, science. I'm yeah, James with them alongside. Alongside the Merkel Warm, Nick Pataglia, and now due to a pagoda's death, my, well, both of our Supreme Leader Snoke's theories have just pretty much shit the bed. Right out the window, man. I mean, that was right there, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't. But you know what is right there, dude? What is? Episode number 100 of this show is dude, right you- there. <sighs> I want to talk about this for a little bit. You know, we start us. Could you imagine us getting to like 100? Like bad if all? I say no? <laughs> no. Well, no. And the reason why I say that, and it's not bad you say no, because people don't realize when they get into podcasting that this quickly turns into a job. Yeah, it does. Like between social media, promotions, certain events you might have to do once in a great while, it, it, it's it's a second job pretty much. I mean, but, the reason that we're still around is because of you guys, if you're listening to us right now. Oh, yeah. Because of you, and it's not a cliche, it's true. I mean, if you guys weren't around, you know, we're doing all this stuff. If if nobody was listening, Nick and I would look at each other and go, uh, do you want to still do this? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, well, no, it's like, it's like, you know, I remember when we first started off, like, hey, we had 30 people listening this Yay! week. And now, and now we release new shows on Fridays, we're like, if this doesn't get over 2,000, it's a fucking failure. <laughs> I mean, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, I mean, we just want to thank you guys. We had our biggest week uh, this past week. We had over 6,000 people listening oh, to the shows. And it, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it just, you, you know, it gives you the warm fuzzies when you see stuff like that. And it's like, wow, people really care that much. And we try to make it unique for you. We like to, you know, when we get guests on the show, we don't like to make it the typical interviews. We like to make it fun and, you know, get have a little bit of fun with them and find out some stuff that you're not going to find out from other news outlets and stuff. So we, we like that you, you know, listen because you think we're different and, and we're entertaining and we do appreciate you just coming back week after week and, and spreading the word. I look at it this way. They're not here for us. We're here for them. Like, like we're here because, you know, we want to get, we want to entertain people. We're here because we love getting the response from people all over the world. Like we'd like to show uh, people are tweeting us. Like one person tweeted us and was like, I'm listening, like, they were pretty much, like, listening to, like, our episode, last week's episode, like, I can't breathe, it's too funny. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's just, again, it's really awesome just to see the amount of people that really dig the show and dig what we do and help, you know, and, and, and even, like, people who go to our Facebook page and just like all, like, the Cosplay Tuesdays, the Meme Mondays, like, these people, you know, I, we, you know, I'm not doing it to, just to say it, but... You, the listener, pretty much inspire, help inspire our creativity a little bit because oh, definitely, like, yeah. 
because it's like, okay, how can we take a certain fad and kind of twist it a little bit to, to make it benefit us yeah. and make people like it? And for example, just to use an example from this week, it was your meme about, you know, George Clooney and the whole Batman thing. Yeah. You know, like this, you know, this is George. George played ba- a bad Batman. You know, uh, he apologized. Be like George. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's just fun. And, and we don't take ourselves that seriously. And we're glad that you don't take us that seriously either, quite frankly, because we just like to have fun. We like to talk about comics. We like to make a lot of a lot of jokes and just have fun with it. And the fact that you've stuck around with us this long, we appreciate that. And man, we've got a lot of plans for episode 100. But another big one last week, we talked to not only Leslie and Brant from Lucifer, but Sierra Renee from Legends of Tomorrow as well. It was just a huge week. It was a huge week. And again, you know, we we live tweeted Lucifer when it aired on Monday. And again, people, I'm reading the responses, man. People are loving the show. And again, we got the screener early. Thanks to Fox for sending us a screener. It, it's a great, it's probably one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Ratings and, were big too. I mean, that yeah. X-Files, I mean, Fox owned Monday night. So yeah. good job by them. And then going to Sierra, I mean, Legends of Tomorrow, we're going to review that later on in the show. But I mean, it's so awesome to have you know somebody like like Sierra on the show to promote Legends of Tomorrow, this new concept, this this idea. You know, bring everybody, all these surrounding characters from like Arrow and Flash, we're bringing them all together, oh, yeah. and making their own team, and to make it you know again we're going to dive into more of it in Gigantamit, but to have her on just talk about the whole her experiences on Broadway and getting bring to TV and what it's like being Hot Girl on you know first ever really live action Hot Girl. You know, it's. It's it's going to be really, really fun. It's really, really awesome, you know? And, I mean, we're just going to keep bringing more and more people on the show to talk about stuff like this. We're doing it again this week. And we're just we're just happy that you're enjoying it and keeping with it. And it's a great time to be a nerd. I say that a lot. It really is, man. Look at all the stuff that's going on right now. Seriously. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, we, we, we run the media right now in terms of what's coming on TV and books and everything else, man. We're, we're running it, you know? It's 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 really really awesome. But speaking of books and reading, that's going to do it for our intro. And coming up next, we have two new comics this week. So stay tuned because what we're reading is coming up next right here on Down Nerdy. This is Lydia and Brent from Lucifer Box, and you're listening to the Down Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes and pick out two comics for us to review each week. And again, this week it's time for what we're reading. Of course, sponsored, of course, by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for the nerds that you love and your nerd heart yourself. So, James, you want to go first or want me to go first? You know what? I think you should go first. Okay, so rarely there's ever a comic where every time I turn a page, because you know I laugh like the Joker pretty much? Oh, yeah. Where that comes out almost every page. <laughs> uh, this one, it's pretty – it's a – Spider-Man Deadpool number one from, of course, Marvel Comics. And Joe Kelly is the writer. Ed McGinnis did the pencils. Mark Morales is the inker. Jason Keith did the colors. And, of course, VCs Joe Sabino did the letters. Now, the way this is is that pretty much, and it kicks off right in a very fast pace. Like, it doesn't take its time, which is nice. Good. And it pretty much is it's Deadpool and Spider-Man, and they're, like, arguing with one another. Well, apparently... They're hanging at the hands of Dormammu. And there's more to this story involving Dormammu as you go forward. But pretty much, it's so hilariously written. Like, the way that they escape this giant, like, webbing trap and stuff like that that, that they're in is hilarious. And it's it's like 
the, the way that they bounce off one another, because the two I think of Marvel's, when you think of Marvel characters and you think sense of humor, those two are immediately at the top of your list. Oh, no question about it. They just match up so well together. Well, yeah, because you have Peter Parker, Spider-Man's witty kind of joking thing. But he's, he's more the straight man in a sense. Right. And then you have Deadpool's craziness. Well, who isn't the straight man with Deadpool around? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <True>. seriously. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to go over like one of the lines in this one because I, I text you this pretty much. And it's like again, they're hanging and to help get this, to escape from this, this trap. Pretty much Deadpool is like he dislocates his hip and via like with an erection pretty much. <laughs> and, and 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 Peter's like, oh, you have you know katanas that can cut through whatever. He's like. Dude, I just dislocated my hip via an erection, and you're marveling at my fucking swords? And that's exact, <laughs> almost exactly what it says, by the way. He's not kidding. If you see the panel, yeah. if you have the comic, <laughs> he, that is not hyperbole on his part. It actually says that. So yeah. let's just put that out there right now. Yeah, um, but again, the, you know, and the, one of the main guys I take on is Hydro Man, which is pretty interesting. Again, the characters that they have them facing off in this first issue, and it's great writing by Joe Kelly, because... It, it matches, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it yeah. goes off against, you know, with Hydro Man, he's all sewers and stuff like that. So, of course, there's some sewer jokes in there. and again, It's really funny. Like, every time I turn the page, it's great. And the great part of this is it's actually within the current Deadpool universe because Deadpool mentions, hey, I have these mercenaries that I hire and you can be a part of them since you're not an Avenger anymore because Parker left because Deadpool became an Avenger. Right, well, you know. <laughs> so he's like, hey, I, I, I'll, you know, I, I have this whole mercenary group you can join. So I'm like, okay, cool. We're dealing within the same connective universe in a sense, which is nice. And then at the end, I'm not going to say what it is because it's a huge, huge uh, twist at the end. But when you see it, you're like, oh. And let me put it this way. This is one of those things where you know how Peter Parker, you know, Spider-Man, he's pretty much the only person in the Marvel Universe where people don't know his identity. Right. Let's say that is pretty much at this point, towards the end of the book, going to come back and bite him in the ass. Well, I mean, there was a point in Superior Spider-Man where they kind of, everybody almost kind of found out, but they ended up being able to cleverly cover it up. You know, like you've seen so many times in, in the comics, but I mean, this was the closest they would ever come, so it's very interesting that they, they go back to that, and maybe to another degree in this comic. So, what do you think? Is this a pull for you? Is it a pickup? What do you think? Well, the writing is phenomenal. It's, it's hilarious. Like I said, I could not stop laughing. And I'm not saying because I'm a Deadpool fan. I mean, re- I currently have like three different Deadpool runs in my poll right now. And this is, I think, the funniest of them all. Like this, I think this is funnier than Dugan's current run. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I mean, the art is phenomenal. It's very detailed. You've seen it. It's really yep. great. There's parts, what I like about it, the art is that there's parts where it's kind of like, basic where it's kind of flat a little bit but then there's parts where it's really shiny and it's really detailed and those are more and it's more like the shiny detailed when it's close-ups you're dealing with close-ups right and that's really awesome and it kind of gives you a nice little bit of a, a, a glance of how like you know perception and everything else and the twist at the end i did not see that coming uh this is a pull for me this is a definite definite pull for me all right well it sounds like uh, you found yourself another deadpool to add to your pull Yep. I'm sure it, that you're not alone. <laughs> well, well, I mean, at $4 a book, I mean, it, it, it better be worth it. Oh, no, definitely. Well, I mean, you've kind of figured with those two teaming up. But I decided to do something a little different this week. Now, if you follow our written reviews on downandirtypodcast.com, Nick and I have both 
done an Aftershock comic before, but never on the show. So I decided to grab one of their new number ones that just came out. Strayer number one from Aftershock Comics. Of course, Justin Jordan, who's kind of an up-and-comer in the biz, I would say. He's the creator and the writer of this series. Uh, Juan Gideon's the artist. You know Tamara Bond villain? She was on our show. She's the colorist for this. And Rachel Deering was the letterer. Now... I gotta say that Aftershock Comics has really had a lot of very interesting and intriguing stories, and there are, it's pretty much what you'd expect for a mid-level publisher in all of their books. This one, I have a little bit of a hesitation, because it basically starts out, and the premise is, is that the world's not what it was, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Well, the world, you know, it's like, we used to be great, and there's, there's a group called the High Ones, and they say they reach peaks of power that anyone could scarcely conceive, and somehow, you know, their power gets put away, and the world crumbles down, and now we have to try and find a way to get back. And apparent, and it's the whole, almost like the fairy tale aspect of we can get it back, but we can't, but I can't do it alone, sort of thing. Right. So then you're following this witch, and she's trying to find somebody to help her do just that. Well, let's say it just doesn't turn out the way she wants it to, and I mean. Yeah, then you get introduced to the main character, Strayer. And I don't know what it is about him. I guess I couldn't really figure him out too much. I mean, is he a wise-ass? Is he a moron? I can't really decide. You know, like the lovable it, idiot kind is, of thing? Is he, is he a Columbo, is what you're saying? Yeah, in in a sense, but not... I mean, I know, I know what you're saying, because in the vein of personality-wise, I guess yeah. you, you, that makes sense. But it's like, okay, what what is his function, and is he smart? Or not. So basically, get, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did it get to a point of maybe where it, it kind of hindered his? Is he this way or is he that way? Did it kind of make it an annoyance at all? Um, it, only because I was trying to figure it out. Okay. It's like it's. I feel. I felt like they. It wasn't really. There wasn't really a lane being picked for the character. It, mm-hmm. it seems like they're trying to kind of have it both ways in an odd way. And of course, you know, he's he's also the warrior because there's this thing that he has to fight in this certain place to save a town, and I don't want to give it away because it's kind of a big part of the story. And the weapons are cool. I will give him that. The weapons that they use in this story are very cool. But, of course, he crosses paths with this witch. Well, it turns out that she's not really a witch at all. And she makes him an offer, and I won't go into that because, it's a big part. again, it's a big part of the story. If you, want, if you read the comic... It's kind of a big reveal that I don't want to give away. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they mentioned in the beginning of this book is the two things that are being hoarded are magic and metal, which I thought was a very interesting choice of two things. You know, like how in Mad Max, yeah. it's water and oil kind of thing. Or your guzzling, yeah. Yeah, but in this, it's metal and magic. I'm like, okay, huh. interesting combination. But I don't know. I just... The art was good. It wasn't great. It was good. Like I said, mid-level publisher-type level of, of art. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking it. Um, but the story, I mean, at the end, it kind of's like, okay, so maybe this is the way that they're going to go with it. Right. But this first issue, it just seemed a little all over the place. Like, okay, we're going to start here, then we're going to go here, and then we're going to have this happen. And they didn't really clearly define the main character. Mm-hmm. And I... I, I, I I kind of get it, you know, because I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure stuff out. But it's like, it's almost like they gave him too much to one. You gave they gave you too much to wonder about. Yeah, yeah. And you can't really figure out his personality type. And I think personality type for your main character, kind of important. And what's funny is they kind of do that with every other character in the book, hmm. like the witch. I'll put that in air quotes because she's not really one. But 
you know where you know where she's coming from. You know where some of the other characters are coming from in the book. And there is some humor in this. I did chuckle a couple times, not nearly to the level you probably did with yours, but I mean there was a couple things to chuckle at. It was like, okay, is he supposed to be funny? Is he supposed to be the the lovable moron? Pretty is much, he supposed to be the warrior? What are we doing here? Pretty much it seems like it gave you a lot of questions, like and it presented a lot of questions, but didn't give you answers. It gave you possibilities, it gave you maybe some theories or a hypothesis. But it didn't give you any finality in what, you know, is really going on. I think as a reader, that can cause a certain discomfort in when you're reading it. Because, again, it's, 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 it can cause frustration because you're like, you know, maybe you're not mad at the story. Or maybe you're more pissed at yourself because you can't figure out really what the hell's going on. When really, right. you know, it, it really might fall more on the reader. But, again, then they lashed out onto the comic. But, again, there's only so many ways you can weave a web and not – connected you know what i'm saying right exactly and, and there are some books that i read and i'm like this is just overly complicated because maybe it gets overly scientific or the story's just it's just got too many you know it's got too many angles that it's coming from stuff like that but i mean you and i are smart guys we're not morons we, oh. can, we can define a character pretty easily we've reviewed comics on this show a ton but i can't remember too many times where i for the main character of the book the one of the books named after strayer i'm like i don't know what he's supposed to be yet and i right. think that by the end of the first issue, you should know. And they even try and add a little bit of depth at the end with one of the things that I, want, that I don't want to reveal. They try to add more depth. And it's like, well, don't give me depth until you give me what he is. Huh. You know? I mean, it's it's just very confusing to what direction that they want to take the character. So it's pretty much like they, they're building the character from the inside out where they're giving you right. kind of like – Here's what makes him up, and here's the whole depth thing, but we're not going to really show you what he is in a sense. And it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's reverse, so I mean, it's, it can be weird, right. but again, it, it again, it causes from what you're from what you're telling me, it, it causes you to get frustrated and pretty much, it, again, a, a problem with a lot of comics is that they raise certain questions and they have, and not to say that they're not interesting. But there's too many. Do you say, well, wait a minute, what about this question you asked, you know, back here, you haven't answered yet, what's going on? Right. And and it can cause a, a, a myriad of ways that it can go, but the whole route of itself can be confusing. Right. And I mean, I know what his, like, job title is. If you're going to, you know, pigeonhole him into saying he's, the, like, if he was in a, in a game, I classify him as this. I know that. I just don't know, personality-wise who this guy is yet. And that's a little frustrating because when it's the main, like I know more about every other character than I know about the main character. And wow. I, I just, okay, I think that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. And but, I know more about the realm and the story of what's going it, on than I know about him. And I don't know that name the book after somebody else. It, you know? feels, it sounds like before you get to your rating, it sounds like they're trying to make him mysterious, but they're going about the wrong way. It, it, it's very much like that. It, it's like, they want you to wonder who he is, but in the wrong way. You know what it is? You know what this exactly is? They're making him okay. We, you know, we both were alive in the nineties, of course. Oh, of course. But it's kind of like you know those teen movies where that that party scene and that girl walks in, the, like the, the her hair hits in the wind. The guy's like, "Who is that?" And you have that one person saying, "Oh, that's this person." They're this, this, and this. That's who he sounds like. He's the girl at the party who like the main character asks about, but they're switching the roles here. But and, and, but nobody knows who they are, and that's the other thing. Yeah, it's very much in that vein. So, like I said, the story is an interesting one. What happens at the end is definitely interesting, and maybe that changes things uh, going forward into the second issue. 
This is a very hesitant pickup for me. Really? Um, and I, I think that I'm maybe unfairly comparing it to other Aftershock comics because Dreaming Eagles is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to read a book from Aftershock, that's the one to read because it is, it is phenomenal. Insects is also very good. But this one, I don't know. It, it, it left me, the character development left me wanting a little bit more. It's because I, I like to know who my main characters are by the end of issue one, and I didn't feel that way here. And m- maybe it's just me. And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. But before we move on, to geek tainment, there's something I wanted to actually say about Spider-Man Deadpool real quick. With issue one, there is a bonus issue with it, which is Vision number one as well. So you oh get, yeah, that's right. Nice. Uh, so, so you get two comics for the price of, I guess, a couple. <laughs> so well, yeah. <laughs> but again, that's gonna do it for what we're reading. But come next is this week in geek tainment, and boy, we had the big premiere of Legends of Tomorrow last week, and we're gonna review it coming up next right here on Down Nerdy. Hi, this is comic writer Mike W. Barr, co-creator of Katana, here with the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to grab those bell bottoms and find the keys to the Wave Rider, Nick, because we're talking about DC's Legends of Tomorrow this week and a pilot that I think that everybody's really been looking forward to. Well, yeah, like I said in the intro, you're gonna. You're, this is a show where they're taking people like the Adam, like Hawkman, Hawkgirl, people who you've seen around and in shows like Arrow and Flash, but they haven't got a lot of screen time, but they've been characters in those shows. And say, you know what? We're going to give them their own show. We're going to bring them all together. And I think it paid off really, really well. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. Like you said, I mean, you've got characters like Rip Hunter, which has actually been around since the Silver Age. A lot of people don't even know that. Rip Hunter and the Time Hunters, I mean, has been around forever. But these are characters that might not necessarily be able to sustain their own show on their own, but you put them together... And the chemistry, I think, right off the bat, is palpable, even in the conflict in the series. Well, remember what Sierra Renee said during her interview and how she said, this is a family. Like, this is like, she's like, you know, this is one of the few instances where you can really say it's like a family on set because it is. And it showed, like, even in the conflict between, you know, Hawkgirl and, and, and Hawkman and th- in that beginning when they're kind of like fighting where like, you know, because in the beginning it's kind of like, you know, she she doesn't want to go, but he does yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And and it's like you know how we got to sell. It's like we always do. Where if I, you beat me in a fight, like you know you we we do what you want to do. And then and, how about Professor Stein drugging yeah. Jax? Yeah, I was like really, dude. <laughs> he slipped him a, a roofie. Pull the Cosby. <laughs> I mean seriously. And then he's on the plane all jacked up and knocked out. <laughs> and he's in that. He's like it's like it's kind of like like if you. Pass somebody out, and you put them on a roller coaster, and you're like, "Where am I? Oh my god!" And it's like, and then Rip goes in that whole thing, like, "Yeah, it might cause temporary blindness and time travel." He's going through like all the side effects of time travel, and everybody's got a little bit of a side effect. It's, yeah, it's really wild, man. But I mean, the thing that I like that they got out in front of in this first episode is that you you kind of wonder while you're watching the pilot. Uh, what Rip Hunter's real intentions were, because you yeah. kind of got a feeling that there was something going on there. But luckily, by the end of the episode, they just kind of put it all out there. And I thought that that was really, really smart not to drag that out. Well, yeah. I mean, especially because the way that the opening scene is with that little kid. You're like, okay, there's got to be something tied to Rip somehow, some way. And I don't know if we really want to spoil it or not, but what shows off in Lair in the show, it's really like, wow, it really like... I think it is a 
one unifying moment. Oh, definitely. And any movie you see where you had that one person will make that big speech or whatever like that, or some action will just unite them all. Mm-hmm. And for example, you look at the Avengers, and it was like when Coulson died, it brought yep. them together. Exactly. This one was Rip saying, "This is what happened. This is the real reason why I brought you people together." And yeah, it's just it's like that's when you saw on the faces of everybody where they're like, "Man, we got band together." And and I think you want know, to talk about chemistry. That bar fight scene with, you know. Oh, yeah. That Katie, whole scene. That man. whole scene was just amazing. You know? When she just goes off with uh, Captain Cold and Heat Wave to yeah. that bar, and they're like, let's go rip it up into the 70s, man. <laughs> and yeah. It was just really cool, and it was funny. And then, of course, what was funny was it's Sarah that starts the fight. Yeah. Not the bad guys. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. But it wasn't like Sarah walked up like, hey, I'm going to kick your ass. It's like self-defense kind of thing. Right, exactly. And, and they're just sitting there back. And she's like, I got this. And she was like, oh, okay, okay, we're going to chill back. Just drink our dollar beers, you know, because it's the 1970s. And she's like, I could use some help. And they, like, break their bottles and go after everybody. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And it was just funny how it seemed like everybody showed up to like save the team at some point like they were off doing their thing and the rest of the team's under attack at back of the ship but then they show up and kind of save the day kind of thing and even hawkman and hawk girl have their moment where they sort of show up at their point and they kind of save the day again too so i like that everybody kind of get their moment of saving the day as well and that's what i want to bring up is that this is why this show works really really well is that it's not focused on one particular person. For example, you look at like, I want to bring the Avengers because really it's the only thing you really compare this to in terms of like the whole bringing together of a major group. Um, you know, the Avengers focuses mostly on Tony Stark and Iron Man, but this one, it's like everybody. It's not, you know, Rip Hunter is the one that brings them together, but it's not totally focused on Rip, even though the mission, you know, pertains mostly to him. You know, everybody gets their own spotlight. You know, we see Firestorm, we see everything else in the, mm-hmm. in the show. Everybody gets their own time. And it gets to showcase why they're part of the show. And it really is. Everybody shines. There wasn't one part where I'm watching this and I'm like, man, I really wish I saw more of this one character because everybody appeared to get the even amount of screen time. And not only that, but they didn't waste their screen time. You know, it wasn't right, like, exactly. it, wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, White Canary's going to talk and it's just going to be boring dialogue or, or whomever else is going to talk. It's like, no, everybody's going to have a certain scene where they're going to shine through in some sort of action and even some sort of dialogue. And it worked. Yeah, definitely. And of course, when we were talking to Sierra Renee, she kind of teased something really big about Hawkgirl's past and Hawkman's past that was going to come up. That definitely did in this episode. And then you you see other scenes like, um, you know, Ray Palmer's character. He always doubts himself and you see that. And then you see Sarah bring her personality through and, you know, Captain Cold and Heatwave, the whole we're not really heroes thing. And the fact that Professor Stein and Jack still aren't exactly a cohesive unit. You're getting all of these side arcs, but it doesn't feel jumble and doesn't feel mismanaged at all just kind of all seems to flow together and they just kind of play off of the fact that everybody really knows that hey these aren't characters they're going to carry their own story but you bring them together and you've really got something and i think that they were almost carefully hand-picked for this show it's almost like they brought this particular group together because they knew that it would work well yeah like i want to bring up heat wave and captain cold because of course they were both in prison break and here's the thing is that that chemistry is there, but the when they're on this, when you want to talk about, I mean, everybody steals the screen, but you really want to talk about and divide the fight and talk about a group that, or a duo that steals the screen, it's those two. 
Yeah, Wentworth Miller and Dominic Purcell, and I've been fans of both of theirs since Prison Break, and I've been I was waiting for them to latch on somewhere with Marvel or DC. Yeah. When I found out that Wentworth Miller was going to be Captain Cold, I, I almost passed out. Right where I, I mean, it's a good thing I wasn't driving. Let's just say that. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, oh, perfect character. And then when they brought Dominic Purcell in his heat wave, I'm like, really? This is fantastic. Did I make this happen somehow? Exactly. Did I Professor X this somehow and convince somebody that this is what needed to happen? <laughs> I don't know. It was just perfect. I mean, you you couldn't cast a better Captain Cole because Wentworth uh, Miller has that smart, you know, and maniacal kind of way about him. And then Dominic Purcell, he's the bull. But here's the thing. We've talked about the, the team. We've talked about the chemistry. We've talked about the characters. We've talked about the mission. But yeah, we haven't talked about Vandal Savage yet. Oh my god, he's brutal. Yeah, in exactly the right kind of way. And I like. And one thing I like this because this is a spoiler. It'll be, if you haven't seen the uh, Flash Arrow crossover, Malcolm Merlin collects his ashes and pretty yep. much makes you believe that okay, he's going to bring him back somehow. Well, it's believed that there's only a certain way he can actually die, and it involves two of, of course, the characters, of course, being Hawkman and Hawk Girl. And there's a reason for that. And we're not going to get, I don't really want to tie it because again, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. But the way that they tie in how Savage is able to come back to life just as like Hawkman and Hawkgirl are, the way they're able to tie that together works. And it's amazing. And yeah, he's brutal, man. Like he is, he doesn't give a shit. He just wants world domination. And again, he's one of those guys where he believes in what he's doing is the right Thing. Yeah, he's very much like Raish in that regard, is that he really thinks that he's doing the right thing no matter what. And the fact that he can do this throughout time and space yeah. makes him even more dangerous than Raish in a certain way. Because I know Raish lives has the long life because of Lazarus Pit as well, but you're not talking about a Lazarus Pit here. There's no deterioration of his of his psyche and persona from going in Lazarus Pit several times. This guy's just a psychopath because he is a psychopath, and he's allowed to live throughout all these lifetimes. That makes him, to me, hugely dangerous, and why you would need to assemble a team like this to go after him. And that really shines through in the pilot, I think. Especially at what he acquires in the pilot. Well, what he acquires, yes, but also what he does in the beginning of the show. Casper Crump did a great job of just playing a really cold character. Mm-hmm. Like, like when he has that conversation with that little boy, and you're like, oh my god, this is about, something's about to happen! Oh no! Like, it really, it, I'm not gonna lie, it kind of fucked me up a little bit. I mean, it, it just tugs at your soul, man. I mean, it was just like, I can't believe you just did that. And I don't know why I can't believe you just did that, because it's Vandal Savage, but I can't believe that that just happened. And yeah. not only that, what happens even before that? Yeah. Right in front of the kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about that for a second, too. I mean, that that's right there on the same level, almost. Well, James, I think we've talked about the show enough. Time to get our ratings for the pilot. I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, it's difficult because there were such high expectations going in, and I think that that was definitely uh, something that could have worked against the show. But I don't think it did. I think it lived up to everything it needed to live up to. The character chemistry worked. The storyline is good. It's very interesting. They've got a lot to look forward to. I'm, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to give this 10 Wave Riders out of 10. Wow, okay. Okay, yeah, I like I like this. This is why I liked about the show. The chemistry was great. 
The story was great. The writing was phenomenal. The fact that everybody got even screen time, and it wasn't a fact where you're like, man, I really wish they developed a certain character more or dive dove more into that character. There wasn't any feeling of that. They, everybody got even screen time or anything else. Um, I, one thing I really want to do mention is the fact that they visited the 70s. The way they captured that era was beautiful. Yep, the, way it, the way it was lit, the way that the sets were made, everything fit well. It didn't feel like, you know, you go back in time and, oh, it's just the 70s because this TV show is on or this happens or whatever. It's like, no, they legit, the aesthetic look, just from the way the sun hits it, they gave that kind of orange hue to it. Beautiful. Everything about the show is great. Uh, it, it's such a phenomenal show. I'm going to do it as well. I'm giving this 10 plasma firing revolvers out of 10. Oh, best six shooter ever. We can tell yeah. you that right now. I think this yeah. is the first time that, is this the first time we've both given a 10 out of 10? I think so. Wow, and only took 97 episodes. Yeah. We finally got two 10s out of 10. Well, that's going to do it for our review of Legends of Tomorrow. Of course, next week we're going to be talking about X-Files and Lucifer, so make sure you come back for that. But right now, you know we've got a boatload of nerd news. It's waiting on you next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book creator Brian Bucciolato, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our sonic screwdrivers and see what's going on around the time sphere known as the internet because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! News. And, of course, I mentioned Sonic Screwdrivers because there's a major change that happened to Doctor Who recently. Actually, over the weekend, it came out that, yes, showrunner Stephen Moffat, who has been a showrunner since 2010, is leaving the show, and that's not all. Chris Chimble is taking over. However, because of Moffat leaving... There will not be any new episodes. Season 10 will not hit TVs until 2017. The BBC has confirmed this. And we hear the crying screams of Whovians across the planet. Because <laughs> that that's not, it's not good news. And you never want to lose a guy like Stephen Moffat, who was kind of at the helm for almost the heyday of Doctor Who. I mean, he was a part of some really good Doctor Who series. So, I mean, to lose a guy like this, and there's rumors, I mean, did he quit? Has he not quit? I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody knows the real story yet. I mean, until Moffat well, decides he, to come out and say so. Well, I mean, he oversaw Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi yep. as the 11th and 12th Doctors, uh, which, of course, led to the 50th anniversary. And here's the thing, is that this is something that, that's been going around as well with the show, is... Is Pierre Capaldi going to leave after? Right. This, was he going to leave after the season, or when is he going to leave? Because there's some rumors going around that he's not really feeling the whole thing, and it's just, you know, I mean, people are saying there's a mixed reviews. Some people are saying, oh, this season with him has been amazing. People are saying it's not so great. Uh, same thing with Moffat. People are like, you know, well, he wasn't really one of the best writers. People are saying he did some of the best stuff. I think that, I mean, I watched some of the Matt Smith stuff, and it's okay, but I mean, the tenant stuff. You know, Russell T. Davies was was great. See, that seems to be the prevailing argument. I think that if you'd ask a lot of people who the best doctor was, I think Tennant's name is going to come and back I more think than it, others. And Eccleston was one. I think the most, he was only on for one season, but he was, I think, one of the best. You know, I mean, I couldn't think of anybody else who you'd want to bring that back with, especially, you know, 
you know, especially when it's been off the air for so long, and you bring yeah. Eccleston in, he was such an amazing job, and Tennant was great. Um, and like I said, like Matt, you know, with Matt Smith, it's okay, but I mean, it's not. I mean, well, I mean, the, I think Matt Smith has his following, though. I mean, I think does, that there are people that enjoy it's, that. It's, it's just the tonality between him and, and Tennant was so different. Um, but again, I think you know, Chimble is the new showrunner of Doctor Who, and you know, I think you know. We'll see what happens, but this is this is kind of big because Moffat's been at the helm for a while, and for him to leave like this, it's it's kind of like like I said, I talked to somebody on our Facebook page the other day about this because he mentioned about it, and I said I could see this being the first pillar falling, and it could lead to Capaldi leaving. It could be, and and I mean, instability. Anytime you have instability and you look at your star who might not already be happy, that's not necessarily a good thing. But keep in mind, Chinball also has Torchwood roots. Yeah. Cap- Jack Harkness, maybe, possibly, returning, but this time in Doctor Who. Yeah. It could happen. Just saying, happen. Y- y- you never know. And, and would that be a good thing or not? I'll leave that for the Whovians to decide. I have no, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes and, and how it goes. But of course, you know, Chimble, really quickly, he, of course, is creator of ITV's show, Broadchurch, as well. So we'll see how it, you know, how right. he takes over for it moving forward. But something that actually broke recently is, you know, Pretty much taken over the storm of actually, I think over the weekend was involved DC Comics and DC Rebirth. And what is DC Rebirth? And a lot of people are saying, oh my God, are they actually going to like reboot everything after like they did with Convergence again? And, you know, there are stories about, you know, you know, hey, there's rumors that maybe Flash and Green Lantern could be part of the whole Rebirth thing as well. You know, we, we posted the story on our Facebook page when it came out. Um, but we didn't say that what Rebirth really was. We just said, okay, is it this? Could it be this? And turns out some of the things that's gonna be part of it and what it could end up just being, Hanna Barbera is making its way back into comics. Not only that, but it's being completely reinvented. Of course, this story broke um, from comic book resources. And look at all the stuff that they're redoing. I mean, they're bringing back everything. They're gonna have a Flintstones, it's gonna be designed by Amer- Amanda Connor and written by Mark Russell. We're also gonna get. Wacky Raceland, yeah, which is which looks like Mad Max Montana Barbera, which is pretty really awesome, does. with uh, Mark Sexton and Ken and Ken Pontac, and then we've got Future Quest, which is gonna have Johnny Quest and Space Ghost, which I'm stoked for. That that looks like it's gonna be really cool. Jeff Parker and and Doc Sharon are gonna be involved in that, and then Scooby Doo. If you're gonna reimagine Scooby Doo, Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah. Jim Lee's going to be involved. Yeah. Keith Giffen's going to be involved. Howard Porter. So I got to tell you, man, this sounds like a rebirth to me. Yeah, it does. It really does. And I mean, I love Space Ghost. I grew up on a Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera. Oh, we all did. Yeah. I mean, Looney Tunes are great, but I grew up on Hanna-Barbera. Like, Hanna-Barbera to me is like my favorite, like my favorites. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish Boomerang, you could stream that stuff because I would just literally watch that stuff all day uh this all this stuff looks great like you know the wacky raceland looks awesome like i'm glad you know it's, it's honestly it's kids version of twisted metal <laughs> oh yeah definitely no question about it yep <laughs> you know uh and it's you know canada bears version of mario kart as well but i mean how could you not be excited for future quest like how could you not it's I know. Space Ghost. I mean, and Johnny it's Quest. Space Ghost. And Johnny Quest together. I mean, it's like, come on, are you serious? Yeah. And even, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the apocalypse, apocalypse thing and all that. And it's well documented. But if you're gonna reimagine Scooby Doo for a it's modern not- story, is this not the way to do it? 
Well, I mean, pulling the mask off of creepy old white men, you know, for years kind of has gotten old. And that's what political debates are for. So, I mean, we'll just just leave it at that. (laughs) But I just want to backtrack for I want to backtrack for just a second. Okay. Because when this story first came out, and and I do want to say that I don't think they really rebooted after Convergence. They more they they restored one timeline in a Superman story, and they brought in some new comics, but they didn't actually. Re- I mean, Batman kind of got redone, but I think that was going to happen irregardless. But this is why we wait. Okay, this is why when one person has quote inside sources that they can't name. Why we wait to do things. And I'm not even saying that that I'm right. And that this is what the rebirth is. But all I'm saying is. Is that before you go and start assuming things. And start bringing up stuff that you're not really sure about. Maybe you shouldn't say you know stuff. Maybe you shouldn't report things. Before you actually have facts. We like to have facts. And I'm not even saying I'm right. I'm just saying I'm not going to be the one that jumps to conclusions. That's for other news outlets to do. You jump to conclusions, you get your rumors, you get your clicks, you do whatever you need to do here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're going to stick to the facts and talk about the stuff that people actually care about, not rumors and conjecture. Thank you very much. We know what happens when you assume things. You turn into Latino Review. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and, and do you want to be that person? Do you want to be the dartboard of the internet? I don't think you do. So uh, so let's not, let's not uh, lessen the... Let's not sully the names of good comic book reporting by doing stuff like this in the future, huh? Can, can we, I mean, if you want to pontificate, if you want to say, oh, what if it's this or what if it's this, that's fine. But don't come out and say, we have sources that say it's this. No, there's a difference between doing that and posting a story that says, could Rebirth be a relaunch of the DC Universe? That's could it be. That's yeah. fine. If you want to, if you want to speculate, that's okay. But if you try and claim like you have all the facts You've got news because you've got the janitor in the closet on the inside? Sorry. I'm not taking you seriously. And and I think some people ran with it now and wish they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. And it could still be wrong. It could still reboot. I don't know. But this looks like a rebirth to me with Hanna-Barbera because nothing's been done like this with Hanna-Barbera that I can remember, especially for comics. Easily for comics, this hasn't been done before. So, I mean, I know they've done new Scooby-Doo's and stuff like that and they... And, Typically, they're horrible. But for comics, at least, to reimagine an entire universe that everybody grew up with, that's a rebirth. And that's all I'll say about it. Exactly. Move on to our third story, James. It deals with Marvel. It deals with Venom. But it also deals with a very, very important non uh, nonprofit organization. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you've been reading uh, Venom Space Night, of course, Flash Thompson is Venom in, in the story. And we kind of know what happened to Flash, right? He lost his legs. As part of the Iraq War, and that happened in Amazing Spider-Man, kind of led to him becoming Venom a couple of years ago. But what I love is that Marvel wanted to bring authenticity to the story because they teamed up with the Wounded Warrior Project for this, Nick. And I think that was really smart. Exactly. And I think that when you're dealing with military and you're dealing with you know loss of limb or loss of, of, of somebody close to you in your squadron or, or whomever, it's important to go to the source and say, okay, how can we write these guys perfectly? How can we, we not only honor the character in Flash Thompson, but how can we honor the men and women who served our country and who have 
you know, had some loss and are dealing with that. And how can we make it real and not make it, you know, seem forced or, or, or you know, false if that, you know, right. I mean, you know, because this is an important thing because Flash, like I said, he lost his legs in the Iraq war as part of a 2009 arc. And, you know, again, who better to go get a real idea of what, you know, the effects of post-war is like than seeing the men and women who have been severely affected by this war and are part of the Wounded Warrior Project. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, thing that Marvel did. And the reason that this is brought about is because he breaks free from the symbiotes and now he ha- he kind of has to deal yeah. with this. And I and I love the fact that, the, that they're doing that. I mean, you look at some of the preview pages that were posted up on various news sites online. I mean, it, you just kind of see, and, and maybe PTSD is going to be a part of this to a certain extent because now there's going to be a shock to the system that he has to deal with this again, something he hasn't really dealt with in a while. What I would also like to see is um, I kind of hope that Marvel comes out and, and part of the proceeds from this yeah. issue, yeah. go to the Wounded Warrior Project. I'm sure that, you know, Marvel's a great company is, is when it comes to charity and stuff like that. I'm sure that they'll do something. I don't know if it'll be exactly that. I, I do like that if nothing else, that they're raising awareness and they're trying to bring authenticity to an issue instead of just trying to write from a perspective of I'm a writer and I think I know what this is like. Let's go find some people that do know what this is like, do a little bit of our research. And that to me is going to make it an even better story. Exactly. And again, you know, we just got to say before we went to our last topic, just thank you to the men and women who support, you know, our country and who fight for our country. The people who are members of the military, thank you for your sacrifice and for your service. We are greatly, greatly appreciative of that as well. And moving on to our final story, James, it's something that's very close to you, I know. And the reason why is because it deals with Masters of the Universe. Now, we know that they're rebooting the movie. We know they're bringing back, you know, He-Man, Skeletor, and everybody else. But here's the thing. When you think of directors, and you think of who do I want to reboot this with, you don't think of Michael Bay Light and McGee. <sighs> Now, if you don't know who McG is, just go to IMDb, type in McG, it's there. So basically, it sounds like a rejected McDonald's menu option. I'm not loving it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! I'm well, not, we did go there. I'm not, and I'm not even gonna do a McPick two here. It's just gonna. <laughs> I could pick several because I mean, you look at the projects that McG has worked on, and I'm not even saying I've hated this stuff because you've heard me on, say on the show before. I loved Chuck. With Zachary Levi. Loved that show. He worked on Human Target. Here's the other problem, though. As either producer or director, been a part of The O.C., (laughs) Charlie's Angels, and stuff like that. Okay, so when I think of He-Man, I don't think of Charlie's Angels, or The O.C., or Chuck, for that matter. (laughs) I think of almost anything else. So the thing that scares me to death, and I don't like doing this before stuff comes out or before there's a trailer, because we harp on this all the time. Oh, don't complain about stuff before there's even a trailer come out. In what universe do you suddenly reinvent yourself and say, hey, I'm going to do a true adaptation (laughs) of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe after this has been my body of work? How do you look at that body of work? and choose this person it would be like getting somebody that does my little pony to do south park it just doesn't make any sense 
It's just, you, you did, it's apples and oranges, man. What? Why? And it hasn't happened yet. I know that. Well, but I mean, the, the rumors alone, come well, I mean, on, he's, Sony. He's in talks and they're saying he might. But I want to remind you, he didn't just do those. He did Terminator Salvation. Yes. That was fucking horrible. Yeah, that's your body of work in the sci-fi action adventure realm. If that's how you want to classify He-Man and the Masters Universe. That's the body of work. No thanks. <laughs> Not that anybody else has been able to get Terminator right lately either. But still, <laughs> come on. This I is just, the best we can do. I just, I don't know, man. I mean, to know that the guy who did the direct, who directed Cypress Hill still smoking documentary is going to do fucking He-Man possibly. And wasn't there some of, other, wasn't there some other music video stuff? Yeah, he did, uh, he well? did a, a video short for Sublime. He did ah. Corn Who Then Now, which was a short video documentary. And he also did uh, the short for The Offsprings, Pretty Fly for a White Guy. I mean... Who saw this name and went, that's a good idea. Let's do that because now this scares me to death because now it makes me wonder, what's this movie going to be? I don't... You know, that would be like getting that would be like getting Christopher Nolan to do Ride Along 3. It's... I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Watch, well, he, he signs on. You, we have to go review this. It's going to be like having Battle Cat step on your balls. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, who's going to be Shira? Drew Barrymore? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, come on. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. Because the the tenor of McGee's projects, and there have been some you know flyers to this, but the tenor of the projects so far don't match up to what I think most Masters of the Universe fans would want to see. We would rather see, and I think I speak for a lot of Masters of the Universe fans on this, we would rather see something more along the lines of a Lord of the Rings type atmosphere. Yeah. Not necessarily the, the, the tenor and the story or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but the atmosphere. The, this needs to be taken seriously to a certain extent. Or maybe even Warcraft is a better example, even though we haven't seen that yet. <clears throat> I want to see, when I see a trailer for Masters of the Universe, I want to feel the way I felt when I saw the Warcraft trailer. I'm like, okay, they seem like they've captured the world pretty well here, and they're not going to try and make it something that it's not. So there's got they've got a chance here. And I'm just worried that... Based on the body of work, McGee is not the right person for this job. And it's not that I don't like McGee. I've liked some of McGee's projects, but this just doesn't seem like the right one. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. But you know who I like? Well, you know who I think would be a good uh, director for Masters Universe? I'm up for any other name right now. Kenneth Branagh, who did Thor. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Because, because he's done stuff like, yeah. he's done a lot of Shakespearean stuff. He's done Hamlet, Midwinter's Tale, you know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, You want to pick work. somebody that at least has the right theme in mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? You want to pick the right person for the job because they've done similar things in the past. Not one or two similar things, but similar things overall. And, and maybe McGee's a fan. I don't know. And, and maybe that would be a good thing. But, it's just you look at the body of work and you and you got to say to yourself, how is this the right person? Just like yeah. I, think, I think people felt the same way when Michael Bay signed on with Turtles. It's like really, Michael Bay is going to do Turtles because that doesn't seem like a good marriage there. I mean, that worked out better than I expected, but still, it, I mean, it, Michael Bay is much better suited for Transformers than Turtles. I thought. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how what happens. And again, it's just rumors, so who knows? I'm just scared, man. I'm just. Hey, I know. I, I listen. I'm just, listen. Listen. Here's here's some warm milk. Go back to sleep. It'll all be fine. I want to go to sleep. 
<laughs> It'll all be over soon. I want to talk to Joe Henderson. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to him next. You want to just get him on and just talk to him now? Okay. Well, rest your head because he's coming up next right here on Down Nerdy. Our interview with Lucifer showrunner Joe Henderson is coming up next. This is comic book writer Brian Wood, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, for the first time ever here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast, we're going to be doing an interview about the same show back-to-back, and after this past Monday... I think it's well justified. One of the best news shows on television. Lucifer on Fox Mondays at 9 o'clock. We have the showrunner for the show, Joe Henderson, here right now. Joe, how are you doing today? I am one happy dude, i got to say. Waking up uh, Tuesday morning and seeing those ratings and seeing that everyone seemed to really enjoy the show, that was a cool morning to wake up to. So what has your life been like over the past, I want to say, what, 72 hours since the show has been out? I mean, what has it just been like for you? Uh, A lot of post-production. Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're still we're still actually shooting the last episode right now. I'm actually I just landed in Vancouver. Uh, I'm actually on set right now. Um, we've got two more days of shooting to go. A couple more episodes to put in the can. Uh, but man, was this a great shot in the arm for everyone? Because you know when you're shooting a bunch of episodes, when that final week is really tough. But this crew is just excited now. So. Oh, definitely. And not just the crew and the cast, but the writers, too. I mean, Nick and I are both talking about it, and we thought that this was such a well-written pilot. Maybe one of the smartest pilots we've seen in a long time. So talk about tr- the tremendous writer's room for the show and how much fun goes on in that room. Oh, we got a great room. Uh, it's funny because we hired, we hired a room based on comedy. Uh, and not only comedy, but to me, the most important thing was I wanted to find writers who could, uh, who could tell jokes. Because you can teach comedy writers drama, but you, it's really hard to teach a straight drama writer comedy. Mm-hmm. And so much of our show is whether or not Lucifer's funny. So we've got a funny room of people who know how to tell a joke, but still know how to tell all the other parts of it as well. So we've just been, we've been having a great time. It's, uh, it's, it's a great group of people. Well, it's great to have like a room that you said, you know, you built it on comedy. So it's nice to be able to like go into a room where you know you're going to walk to a room full of like funny people who are like funny when they're not writing. Because I know it's kind of like a bit of a parallel with that, correct? Like, oh, you know, you, you, you have some writers who write comedy, but like maybe sometimes, you know, it's more important when they're not in the room together and you get a kind of a, a build for their personality like that. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, it's, it's funny because you also try to build like the balances. Like we have a couple of people who come from procedurals who mm-hmm. want to do something a little funnier. We have a couple of people who've never done a procedural, so they're coming in with fresh eyes. We have one who's a, who's a comic book writer who comes both as our sort of nerd POV, but also knows a whole lot of TV and has written uh, TV, just not professionally yet. Like, we've got this awesome mishmash of a whole different, a whole different uh, number of people who have all different perspectives on how to write. Oh, definitely. As a matter of fact, I mean, you talk about a comic book adaptation and having somebody on your staff with that. There's always a risk anytime you stray even slightly from the source material like you have with Lucifer here. So even with Tom Ellis and his amazing performance, were you worried at all that there was going to be any backlash from the diehards? What are you talking about? We did a direct adaptation. I don't see... uh... (laughs) Just kidding. Um... (laughs) Listen, we've gotten gotten punched in the face a couple times, and we knew it was going to happen. Uh, when you take a beloved character, especially one written by Neil Gaiman, by the way, like I, I cut my teeth on Sandman. Like that was the comic that I stole from my brother. Oh yeah. I, I wasn't able to actually buy it and I read it and I, I just I devoured it. So when you're dealing with a, a beloved character 
who the fans love from that and, and Mike Carey's run as well. I get it. And listen, I was one of those people who, when I first heard they were adapting it, was like, that's a terrible idea. And then I read the script and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good, but that's going to be really hard to pull off. And then I saw the pilot and I was like, oh, holy crap, they did it. They did it. <laughs> uh, and, and that's when I signed on. Like when they when they uh, reached out to me, I was like, I, I, I this show knows what it is, and it has that sense of humor that Tom Ellis brings in such an amazing way. And I think I think a lot of it is people getting over just the procedural aspect. We yeah. know I know there's a lot of procedural shows of a cop and the character who is the quirky sidekick sort of thing. I realize that that's something that some people feel is overworn. I also think it's something that we're bringing something new and fun to in a really, in a way that, that entertained me like crazy in the pilot. And I think we just keep going uh, from there on. Oh yeah. And one of the many characteristics about Lucifer that James and I loved is the, is that despite being the devil, he's also at times very compassionate and he mentions free will, which is a big thing in that uh, run that was the comic run from 2000, to 2006. Uh, so when it comes to making people making bad choices, what makes those characteristics of Lucifer so special and important to you as a showrunner? Well, it's one thing that's just like once you once you realize what the human aspect of your story is, and like who who hasn't wanted their own choice? And the way we approach the show is Lucifer is the eternal teenager. He's the mm-hmm. kid who wanted to make his own choices, and Dad wouldn't let him. And once I understood that, once I understood that it's the rebellious son story, that. I identify with and all of our writers in various degrees identify with like then, then I just, I know, I know what's happening and I know where everything comes from. And so I know why it's exciting. And by the way, we, we take that from, uh, to a large part, my Carrie's run. Like, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with the books, but there's this awesome moment where he basically decides to make his own universe and become yes. his own God. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, what's awesome about it is it's, it's this big, crazy idea where, you know, there's centaur people and this amazing world with a different time. But when you look at it, all it is is just a son wanting what his dad has on his own terms. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And once you just take that idea and shift it over into our world, it still works in a completely different way that uh, creates a lot, a, a lot of new story to be told, even if it's the same theme. Oh, definitely. We're talking to Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, which, of course, every Monday night, 9 o'clock on Fox. Now, Joe, i got to tell yes. you, I was really blown away by Lauren German's performance on the show, and so was Nick. But I kind of get a sense we're really barely scratching the surface with her character as far as depth goes. So are we in store oh, yeah. for any big bombshells coming up with her anytime soon? So the, the big thrust of the next couple episodes is both of our main characters, Lucifer and Chloe, have a mystery, Right. Uh, Chloe's mystery is how on earth did this guy who claims to be the devil, but that's absurd, uh, survive getting shot six times uh, by that music producer guy. Like, how, how does that happen? There has to be a rational explanation. I'll find it. And then similarly, Lucifer's looking at Chloe going, wow, I affect everyone. What's with her? What's, what's the deal with this? And so a lot of it is that sort of you have two characters who, while they're also working on other things that come their way, they're investigating their other, each other as much as anything else. So yeah, there's a lot more of her to come, and just she's Lauren's awesome, and she brings so much to the role. And it's a very difficult role when you have to stand next to a guy like Tom Ellis and and bring sort of a, a gravity to the role and and ground it, and still uh, just just bring a 
emotion, humor, and all of that when oh, yeah. you've got a guy who's making crazy uh, jokes and doing crazy stuff the entire time, and she just nailed it. Oh, exactly. I mean, speaking of the characters of the show, I mean, one of the, a few of the major strengths of Lucifer, the show itself, are the surrounding characters that both Lucifer himself and Chloe come in contact with, for example, in the pilot, you know, with Linda and even Tuvile because of their use of important dialogue, which moves the story along really well. And it gives both of them and their scenes a unique purpose. So do you feel it's easy for those types of characters to be, like, overlooked and even underutilized in television? And if so, why is that? Well, it's funny because, in particular, you look at, like, uh, Rachel Harris's character, Dr. Linda, and, like, that's a character that you could either use once and go away from or, or realize the true depth of it. Like, when I, when I watched the pilot, that scene in the therapist's office was the scene that I was, I was watching. I was like, when I read that, I was like, that is a difficult scene to pull off because it's funny and it's weird and it's got a bit of emotion to it and it's very grounded. And when you have an actress like Rachel Harris... It's amazing, and that's a character that, that easily people could have walked away from, but when we saw that, we realized, oh, we need to bring her back over and over again. And in particular, what else can we learn about our main character through this character? Like with Tuvile, you get that great moment of like Lucifer saying something completely uh, inappropriate, but we realize that he's not, he's not, it's the thing about like, uh, I don't like your music. And by your music, I mean your music in particular. Like. <laughs> like that fun non-PC way where there's there's no malice behind anything he says. He's just being blunt. He's just saying, no, 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 I, you, you in particular, your music is terrible. <laughs> 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 and he's right. He's, t- he's totally right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. But uh, we also had Leslie Ann Brant on the podcast last week, and she agreed with James when he asked if Maze is the devil on the devil's shoulder. So going forward, what kind of trials and tests will we see her put both Lucifer and possibly those surrounding him through? Oh, that's the, that's the fun of it. To, to have a devil on the devil's shoulder, to me, is already you're already starting with a meal of dynamic. Like, like Because it becomes a question of, what does Lucifer want? But then it becomes a greater question. And what really becomes fun to play with is what does Maze really want? Mm-hmm. Like you've got, you've got a character who's starting to become introspective and Lucifer starting to think about things. And then you've got Maze who desperately doesn't want to do that, but is pulled along for the ride with Lucifer. So the fun of it is she's in the same way as him, she's doing a bit of two steps forward, one step back. And the real fun of it is for once you've got, You've got Maze, who all she wants to do is keep the party going until they've gotten her way. So, how do you get the obstacle out of the way? What is the obstacle? Is it humanity? Is it Chloe? Do I can I find an unlikely ally in my pursuit of this? Like those are the things we're going to explore with her. That is a ton of fun. Oh, exactly. I asked Leslie this question last week. I got to ask you: If you ran hell for a day, what would be your first command? Oh, that's good. Um. I would I would want that uh, eternal donut machine from the Simpsons episode. <laughs> <laughs> Way to keep it in the Fox family, there, Joe. Good, well done. <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I like that one actually. I like that. Right. I mean, I mean that some some call that torture. That looked amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna go. That's that's a good way go to go. Smile. I gotta yeah. say, absolutely. So we're talking to Joe <laughs> Henderson, showrunner for Loose from Mondays at nine o'clock on Fox, and we were talking about the comedy aspect of the show a lot, but we've also seen a few tense confrontations between Lucifer and Amenadiel. Now, would you consider him the big bad of the series, or is there still something yet to be revealed coming up in future episodes? 
Well, the way we approach it is we approach him as the, the sort of the big conflict. Whether or not he's the big bad becomes a bit of the question of season one and something that I'm not going to necessarily answer. But I think right now what we leave him in the pilot is he's positioned as what you assume will be the big bad. And again, this, to me, the fun of it, similar to Mason and Lucifer, is what path does he walk down that either puts him that way or makes him um, maybe step a different path? Or, in the case of both, all three of these characters, seem to step down the right path and then fall off of it because isn't that, isn't that what humanity is all about? Isn't that what real, real people do all the time? So, but for, for celestial beings that aren't used to this kind of trial, if you will, this, this, this uh, facing of mortality, it's a little harder for them. And I think that, that actually opens up a lot of uh, story. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned that you're getting ready to shoot another episode. You're actually on the set now. So you've been on the set a lot. So do you have a favorite moment from filming so far, or a favorite line that you could share with us? Honestly, my, my favorite moments from set are probably, and I, I hate to admit this, and I would say don't quote me on it, but I guess I'm being recorded, is Tom <laughs> Ellis can ad-lib like crazy. And I... Like it, it is amazing and it's frustrating and I will always take credit for the lines that he ad libs and pretend that I wrote them. But uh, there's a couple ad libs he has coming up where you have these very serious moments that we wrote and he just completely undercuts them with like this Luciferian one liner because he gets so in this character's head that he's just he's just ready for them. And I we literally we were watching a, an outtake or a, we we're watching dailies and I saw it and we all we actually did a spit take off of it. So. Without context, it's hard to tell you what it is, but uh, uh, episode eight, end of Act five, you'll see it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. A little bit of inside information right there. So, of course, we're talking with Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, which can be seen on Fox Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. So, Joe, before we get you out of here, man, where can people find you in the fabulous writer's room on social media? Uh, so, I'm on uh, Twitter at at Henderson underscore Joe, because there are way too many Joe Hendersons in the world, but uh, I have murderous plans to fix that. Uh, <laughs> well, you do have my, access uh, to the devil, so, you know. Right? I know. I mean, it's the least he could do for me after all the uh, promotion I've given. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, please, anyone, uh, good or bad comment, and I've gotten a lot of both. But actually, I, I take that back, actually. I've gotten a... For, for all the backlash we got early on for people uh, about the show, I, it, it's been incredible the warm reaction we've gotten and the support and the compliments. I think once people get the show we're making, once they understand the tone and the fun of it and just the, the, the slightly different way we're approaching everything, people seem to really dig it, and it's been really gratifying. We were, Absolutely. Watching, we were watching the show, the pilot, and we looked at each other, Joe. We're like... Oh my God! They made Lucifer compassionate. Oh my God! He cares. Oh my God! Free will. Like every layer of the show's onion, Joe was just—it was just amazing. Like yeah. honestly, it was one of the best pilots we've ever seen. I'm so happy to hear that. I, I feel I honestly that's what we feel every week when we're writing it because it, by taking the the most reprehensible character and sort of the history of 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 the world or story or however you want to approach it, it allows you to approach story in just that little different way because you're right. Like all right, take take the world's greatest villain and, and see what happens with a touch of compassion or see what happens when you look at him with more compassionate eyes. Oh my God. The, the, the amount of things you can do with that. And what I love too, is he doesn't really, he's not necessarily self-aware about most of it. 
he doesn't really know what he's doing. And so there's just this innocence. There's this sort of like, oh, I'm just having fun. Yeah. But deep down, you know that maybe he is actually learning a thing or two. Yeah, he's doing what he wants to do. It just happens to coincide with all of these other things. Yes, exactly. Well, it's a great show. And listen, guys, for anybody listening, you know we've never talked about a same show back-to-back weeks. There's a reason we're doing that here, because this is a show you have to watch. Now, DVR, watch this show live Monday night, 9 o'clock on Fox, because Lucifer is the real deal, and we're glad to have Joe Henderson on this week. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you guys so much, and uh, I think the best is yet to come. So I hope everyone enjoys it. Well, James, last week we visited hell, and I think as of this week, we've probably, I think, are we uh, able to take up residency there now? I, I think maybe we are. I mean, do we get like a visa? Is there a visa program possibly available? I mean, I, I don't know, but I got to tell you, again, 97 episodes. We have never done back-to-back interviews or even back-to-back topics on the same show until this show. And I think to our listeners, that should tell you something. Yeah, because, like, Lucifer, I mean, the ratings are just amazing, you know, and Joe is just, it's so awesome to have, you know, a showrunner like Joe come on, you know, the week, especially the week that his show premieres. And it's just so much great response and and so much, uh, you know, great ratings and everything else. And, again, don't DVR Lucifer. you got to watch it live because it's just an amazing, astounding show. And it's awesome to see. The one thing that, you know, we've had some people on before talk about writers and stuff like that. But rarely do we – what I love about his answer was he says, we have a writer who specializes in this, a writer who specializes in in, in procedurals but hasn't done comedy. We have a person who, you know, is a comic book writer and it's like – you have this great melting pot of writing yeah. talent, and you cover all the aspects. And they just—it's—it's it's kind of like to put it in a great way. It's kind of like building a megazord. Like it's like you know you have these people make up the arm, this person makes up the body. You know it's 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 great. You know well, it makes up this giant great thing that is Lucifer. They knew what they were going for, and they went for it by getting all the pieces necessary in order to execute their plan and i shouldn't say how often does that happen because we don't usually get that in depth of a breakdown but seriously if you think about it how often is that happening and it just makes for a perfect show and i just want to say this one more time and i swear i'll let it go and we won't talk about this when we review it next week if you're still on the fence about this show seriously get over yourself sit down Watch the show because what you're going to find is something that's very unique, very cool. And Tom Ellis, he'll never win an Emmy for the show, okay? And that's sad. But his performance alone, never mind all the other great characters, should be the reason that you're watching Lucifer Monday nights at 9 o'clock on Fox. Seriously. Exactly. And with that, that is the end of episode God, ninety-seven. Jesus, we've lost we've <laughs> we've lost track so many times too. It's seriously off the air. You have no idea. Yeah, you have no idea. But that does it for episode ninety-seven of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Joe Henderson coming on and talking about Lucifer. Of course, remember it airs Monday nights, nine p.m. on Fox. You gotta watch it live. And it's so great. Everybody on the show is fantastic, so be sure to watch it. But hey, you want more of us? There's a lot of ways you can get a hold of us. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. You can also get us online, downandnerdypodcast.com. You want more information on the show that we're the, the, the shows that we do every week? There's a this week section. It'll play the show. You can scroll down, see what we're going to be talking about. Hey, you want to buy 
the first episode of Lucifer, available on Amazon Instant Video. You can do that. We'll have a link right up there for you to do just that. And just a whole bunch of other stuff. The comics that we're reviewing, we review two extra comics on the website. Just so much going on with the lead up to our 100th episode at downandnerdypodcast.com. Exactly. And with that, I leave you with this as I do every week, nerds. Practice safe comic book reading, always back on board your comics. And guess what? We're going to go back to our apartments in hell, and uh, we're going to take on some tennis and uh, relax with the devil. So we'll see you next week.